your neighbor. Make our guests so welcome.
Good morning, Lighthouse. Good to see everybody here. And it would be better to see more everybody's here, but we'll do, we'll take what we got and be thankful. Amen. Did y'all get that? Yeah. A bunch of kids. Yeah, we got like an overabundance. Did y'all find a, like a, under a bridge or something? Or well, there are a mess of kids here today. That's actually that's a sign of a growing church. It's a it's a good sign, and and I've heard we got more coming. Josh, yeah, Christine, he she's somewhere around here. I don't know where, but they got a, a a new bun in the oven. Is that how you say it, or something like that? <laughs> but uh, uh, that that's exciting news we heard today that we got a new. Amen. Amen. Something about a full quiver, the Bible says, is, is a good thing. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, if you are here with us today uh, for your first time, we want to let you know that we understand you could, you could be anywhere. But for whatever reason, and we'll call it God's providence, you're here with us today. And our goal is to be a blessing to you with the Word of God today. One thing, one thing you're going to learn about Lighthouse, if you're around us at all, you're going to learn that we are all about God's Word. None of this is about us. This is about Jesus, and He is the, He is the one that matters in this place. And He'll do for you what nobody else can. And we just, uh, we love Him, and we want you to get to know Him. And so, the preaching of the Word of God is the best way I know how to do that. We have, uh, we have these little cards sitting around almost everywhere, and this is a communication card, and we'd like to know about your visit with us today. And this is not just for visitors or guests, as we would call it, but uh, this is, this is uh, got a prayer request line down here on the bottom of it. I would expect that based on how the things work out in the world nowadays, that you probably need prayer in your life. There's something that you need from God that you need God to do for you. And if you would write that down, we will take it to the Lord on your behalf. And somebody said, well, do you think he'd listen? He listens. And he acts upon it. He is uh, is amazing. He treats us special. He really does. I know we're not special, but God treats us that way anyhow. And uh, we love him for it. Uh, so if you'd fill this out, uh, put your name on it, fill out your prayer request on the bottom, and immediately after the service today, our prayer group will meet and will lift up your request to the Lord. So uh, right now, though, It's time for a different kind of prayer. This is a kind of prayer that only people who know Jesus can pray. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. The whole book of 1 John is how to walk in fellowship with God once you're saved. If you're a real Christian, that means you had a day that you understood the gospel and you put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. That's how people become Christians. But if you're a real one, you uh, you didn't do a perfect job this week, did you? You fell short of God's glory, and either by doing things you shouldn't have done, thinking about stuff your mind ought to be in somewhere else, in a righteous place, or one way or another, they're sinning against God. I've never met a person in my whole life that could honestly say, I went all week and I never sinned against God, not one time. You know you did. And the Bible tells us that we need to walk in fellowship with God, and that comes when we're willing to confess our sin and let Him wash us clean in His shed blood. This has nothing to do with going to heaven. 
It has everything to do with being able to walk in fellowship with a holy God. So we're going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to join me as we take that to the Lord. Because when we start singing again here in a minute, I, I want to do it with a right and clean heart. The Lord's going to receive glory from our praise if we have a clean heart. And you can have a clean heart. You just got to acknowledge your sin to the Lord and he'll fix you up. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Let's bow before him. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We know that we're part of your family, Lord. You, you fixed that for us when you saved us from our sins. You sent us the gospel. You showed up. And as we learned who you are and what you did for us and put our trust in you, Lord, you caused our spirit to be made alive again from the dead. And Lord, we know we're your children, but we're still living in flesh, Lord, and, and it gets in the way. And Lord, I just confess that to you. I've already spoken to you today and on the various things that you've brought to my mind that I need to confess. And Lord, I pray for our people here at Lighthouse that, that we might understand, Lord, that we need to be in fellowship with you and with each other. And that comes when we're willing to confess our failures, our faults, and our sins to you, Lord. You're the one who can forgive and cleanse us. And you promised you would. So here we are, Lord, once again, asking for your mercy and for your grace in our life. Use us for your glory today, Lord. You deserve glory, and we can't do it when there's sin separating us. So, Lord, as we confess, as we acknowledge our failures, we ask you to help us bring you praise, real praise and glory today. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask. Amen and amen.
Good morning, Lighthouse. You got these muted? Okay. All right. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Yes. Man, well, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, we just got back from our missions and youth conference uh, this week, and it was really encouraging. The teens were left challenged, and um, I recommend next year we'll plan it out. Let's try to take some more uh, with us, especially adults. A free servant, part two. So and it says part two, and like, well, what happened to part one? Well, to recap a bit from what we preached on July 2nd, um, our text was from Romans chapter 6, 1 through 10. In that passage and text, we saw the reality of our new position we have when we trusted Christ as our Savior and how our water baptism that we have illustrates that. 
See, when we got saved, a.k.a. you put your trust in Jesus to save you, a lot took place on the inside. Just to name some, you were declared righteous. Our spirits were made alive. In our old selves, the old man, were crucified with Christ. As a result, we are set free from sin, and we now have a new master because we are now dead to sin and alive to Christ. As set in verse 10, it says, we are now, what we're now finishing for verse 11, you have the reality of your position in Christ being dead to sin. Now, if that's true, now what are we to do with that? And this is where verse 11 picks up from. And I want to remind you, when you're in the book of Romans, we want to set and remember our theme and what brought on this book. And to remind you what brought on Romans, this letter is focusing and dealing with the controversy that was between Jewish and Gentile believers. Specifically, the Jewish believers were looking down on Gentiles as if us Jews are just some kind of special Christians. And Paul throughout Romans demonstrates that all, both Jew and Gentile, fall under condemnation because all have sinned. And Jesus died for all. The gospel and salvation are offered to all people. And God's desire is to bring about obedience to all the nations and to all people. And because of these truths, prejudice over one's ethnic culture or background has no place at all in the church. They were dealing with what essentially is racism. The gospel and salvation itself are certainly themes you can find within Romans, but it's not actually what the letter is focusing all about what it deals with. And since we have an understanding of that now, let's look at our text from Romans chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye shall obey in its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto, unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness." What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your own fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we are so bountifully blessed, Lord, that you would allow us to come be participants in your worship, Lord. May your word be exalted. And may the message be opening to the hearts of those who really needed to hear it this morning, Lord. So whatever you, whatever you would have to be said, Lord, may it be clear, may it, be, may it not return void as in promise. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the truth that we have that we can cling to, being free and truly free in Christ. This in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So beginning in verse 11, we see that our position, we see our possession as well that we are to have. Once you get into Romans 6, verse 11, this is your first command that you actually have in Romans. He picks up again in chapter 12. He says, he says here, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul shifts a command to what God has already done, what we see in Romans 6 beginning, into now what you need to do as believers. He tells us, likewise. Well, what kind of likewise? As in the things that are true in Christ, the things are to be true in us. See, from the previous verses, we read how death has no more dominion over Christ. He is alive and alive unto God. Reckon ye also 
yourselves, he says. This word here for reckon comes from the word logizomaya, which is an accounting term meaning to take inventory of, to calculate something to be true. So wait a minute. If it's true, why would you need to reckon these things? He gives us two things here to reckon ourselves to be. Number one, dead to sin. Second, alive unto God. So the reality is that we are indeed set free from sin. We live in Christ and sin no longer has dominion over us. Yet something seems to be in that way. After all, do we not all still wrestle with sin? If you want to hear, raise your hand. No, I don't deal with sin anymore. I'd refer you to 1 John <laughs> immediately. He that says he has no sin is a liar. See, the problem lies in our flesh, not the spirit man in us, the one who was indeed created in righteousness and true holiness, listed in Ephesians. Our issue we have lies in our mortal flesh. However, does that need to just be an excuse to us? Well, I'm, I'm still a sinner. I'm going to be in my flesh all my life. Not at all. See, when Christ set us free, he gave us the means to begin putting off the former and begin to put on the new. It starts with reckoning. Putting your mindset that indeed that you are truly dead and alive unto God. See, how many of us actually have this mindset as we go through this life? I am crucified with Christ. My life is no longer my own. It positionally happening, and I live as the reality is, yes, I am truly set free from sin. See, you may be free, but that doesn't mean you always live like you are. And this is our command in light of that new standing. It says in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness and sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, as your members, as instruments of righteousness unto God. See, here he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Not allowing sin to reign in your life. Specifically the flesh side. See, as I pointed out earlier, your inner spirit who was born again cannot have sin be reigning in it. 1 Peter 1.23 lays this out. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He further says not to yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. That's talking about your, your body. Sin is personified, it is dethroned as king, who seeks his throne, his former place of reigning. See, in our lives, sin lost that reign when the believer became identified with Christ. However... We often, and there's too many, that live as if sin was still their king. So what do we do, though? Just simply just remove the king and let it be? Or do we follow after a new king? See, if we left the throne void, sin is going to find its way right back in. Paul says to yield yourselves unto God and your members as of righteousness unto God. See, the idea is practical. You have eyes. Do not put them in the service of sin. We all have ears. Do not put them in the service of sin. Instead, take your eyes, take your hands, take your feet, everything about you, and put it in service to God. Dethrone the king known as sin and serve and worship the true king. This word here for yield is that same one you're going to find in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present, that's the same word in there, ye present to your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, accessible unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love that phrase at the end, which is your reasonable service. For the new born-again Christian, it makes perfect sense that after everything God has done for you, why would you not give it all back to him? It's your reasonable service. That word yield, it comes from the word peristemi, meaning to place a person or thing at one's disposal, to be at hand, to stand ready. 
The putting off and putting on principle is clearly embedded in this passage. We yield ourselves to God. So though we here are in a corrupt body that's prone to sin, we have the responsibility to be placing ourselves as instruments to God. We can either yield it to our flesh and what we think is right and how we feel, or we can set it to what God has in his standard and what he wants for our lives. I'm going to argue as a Christian, you're not a matter of, oh, you just have to do this. You get, you get to do this. You are now enabled to, unlike before that time, before you knew Christ, you get to serve God wholeheartedly. That before that time you knew him as Jesus as your savior. We get to serve God. It says in verse 14 that we have a freedom from the law. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. See, freedom in Christ means deliverance. See, in addition to set, being set free from sin, we are set free and no longer under the law. He delivers us from that attempt to measure up to his standard. See, the law clearly defined what God's perfect standard is, and it shows us where we fall short. But it cannot give us that freedom from sin that only grace provides. See, grace reigns through righteousness, what we learn in Romans 5, it is grace, not the law, that provides the freedom and the power to live over sin. These phrases here, under law and under grace, are antithetical, meaning if we are under one, we are not under the other. The one in Christ is under grace. And if you don't know this, if you do not know Christ, you are still under the law. You are still under the law's curse and you will be judged according to its standard. Many people want to seek their righteousness, so I want to find my way to God through the law. Do you know how many people are going to make that? I'll give a spoiler that I've read the end of the book. Not one make it. We even have a greater standing. It says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Meaning absolutely not. See, Paul then uses language that he used in the beginning of chapter 6. He would expect these kind of truths and statements to raise concerns or some oppositions. So like in verse 1, he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, why not I just live my life however I want and just, it just shows God's grace is good and good more and more. God forbid. Because when we're saved, when our sins are forgiven and God's grace is extended to us, we're changed. The old man is dead, the new man lives See, being under grace does not make us anti-law. Being under grace means we go above and beyond the law. Because God sets us free and equips us to live righteously before him. Once dead to sin, it is unthinkable to continue in that former way of life. See, once the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, why would the butterfly be crawling around all over the trees and the leaves like, like it did as a caterpillar? The same goes for the new Christian who is created in Christ, a new creature. This is no longer who I am. We, send, we see then two masters that have been contrasted. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked. That ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see here, we see the servants of sin, who they were. See, there is no middle ground between being a slave to sin and having obedience to God. Because whom you present yourselves, those to you obey, you are its servant. Now, I understand there is a lot of redundancy in this passage, but I think it's for a good reason so we, can't, so we don't miss it. He contrasts here, but God be thanked. 
but God be thanked. So this is who you were, but God be thanked. Who's the one who accomplished our freedom? Did we free ourselves or did the Son set us free? And whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. You were the servants or slaves of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So what kind of doctrine is this, though? Whatever doctrine it was, obeying it from the heart set them free and put them into a new standing. Well, what doctrine could only do that? The doctrine of justification, the gospel. The gospel is the only doctrine that is able to set you free. Romans 1, 15 through 17, at the beginning of Romans, says this. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospels to you that are also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There is also a connection using that word heart later in Romans. Romans 10.10 10 later says this, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If it's the heart that makes it possible, who is the only one that are going to know if you got saved or not? You and God. Only you and God are the truly one, the ones truly that are going to know where you stand in salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 gives us the simple and clear definition of what doctrine they are commanded to believe. It says here, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Anyone want a simple definition of the gospel? It's found right there. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. The death, burial, and resurrection. A lot of people simply do not know how to define the gospel. But 1 Corinthians gives us a beautiful, simple understanding of it. So Paul's overall point is laid out. You put your trust in Christ and in his word, and you are now set free. Now, live consistent with that freedom. You have that freedom to serve him or not. But if you are one of his, it's urgent to choose to do so and not go back to serving sin. It's no longer who you are. Imagine being on a new job. And that first day on the new job, you take your lunch break, you leave. You go off to your old job and you ask your old boss, hey, is there anything you want me to do around here? Your old boss may, work, may, your old boss may work you for free. But you no longer serve that master. You have a new master. It's folly to us to go back into it. It's servants of God and righteousness who we are now in our position. See, being a servant to sin, I want to cons consider the end results. What did serving sin in that old life, where did that get you in the first place? Heartache? Displeasure? The end result is death. See, there may be temporary pleasure, but it didn't produce any real joy. Shame was produced. In a time of temptation, these truths, though, can seem unreal. We need to rely on what the Word of God tells us about it. See, when we are tempted, it's faith in God's promises and truths that remind us of that bitter fruit of sin when our feelings may forget that fruit. Your benefit you have in serving righteousness is a life set apart an eternal life that cannot be removed. For the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So are you free? Let the redeemed say so, the Bible says. Are you free? Amen. See, if you indeed come to, if you have come to a place where you trusted that God's word was true, you understood what Jesus did for you and why, and you placed your trust in Jesus to save you from the penalty of sin and to give you everlasting life, then God will never condemn you for your sin. 
He will chastise you, yes, in a family matter, but he will never cast out anyone out of his family. See, in this sense, sin does not have dominion over the believer. This is true biblical freedom. Christians were freed from sin by becoming servants of righteousness. See, our option boils down to these two. You can either serve sin or you can serve God. See, the idea that man can be independent of either of these is a complete illusion. The only true freedom you're going to experience, though, is if a man or a person gives his rights over to God. Lord, what would you have me to do? The only true freedom is a life depending upon God. See, if there hasn't been that time and place where you trust Jesus to save you, then you already know which side you're on. You may be here today wondering if any of this is even all real or not. Maybe you even feel like you just need some more clarity about, well, what does it mean with salvation? What does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? How can I be assured if I'm going to be in heaven or not? See, I urge you to consider the person named Jesus. No one's ever loved you like Jesus has. It is his desire that you be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He's not asking you to clean up your life before you come to him. See, many preachers, they bang on the pulpit and say, you need to repent of your sins, you just need to live it. You're leaving that lost man with no hope. See, Jesus came because we could not live it. He died on the cross because we could not live it. Any idea where I need to do my part too is to say that, well, Jesus' death on the cross just wasn't enough for me. I got to do something too about it. Jesus did all all the work for you and he does not need your help. Matter of fact, if you had to do something, if you had to help into it, you would mess it all up. The only thing you can contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary in the first place. Don't ever get on this kind of high horse and think, oh, well, I'm just so great in the Lord. It's all God's doing. You need to be in submission to that. He's not asking you to clean up your life before you come to him. He invites you to come just as you are. You don't have the strength to clean your life before coming to Jesus. See, we offer here five one-on-one Bible classes here known as basic Bible truths. I would invite you just to simply tell us, hey, I'd like to take those classes. I'm interested in some more information. We can help you be set free. We can show you what the word of God says and how you can know and confident where you're going to spend eternity. And for those who do know, I know where I stand. I know I've put my trust in Christ. I can name you the time and place. I can walk you through the gospel. Let us all live passionately for the one who truly did set us free. We all get paychecks from work, right? Well, when you get that check, is it in your account yet? Well, not always quite, but you live and reckon as if I have this money. With that same kind of understanding, I've truly been set free. I've been paid. I know I've been set free. I am crucified with Christ. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith and Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the kind of mindset we ought to be waking and facing this world every day. My life is not mine own. I belong to Jesus Christ because no one's ever loved me like Jesus. Why would I ever go back to this when I have all of this wonderful things? I have a wonderful church family, a wonderful loving Savior, always with me, and never against me. That's the kind of God I want to choose to serve. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you so much for the wonderful truth and freedom that we have in you, that we've been truly indeed set free. So Father, let us have our mindset and understanding that we can truly be conquerors over it, Lord, and not because of our own strength, Lord, but because of the strength that you have provided and give us the means to have and cling to. While it is true, Lord, we will never be masters and perfect over battling sin, but being set free in you means we don't have to be giving into it. We can choose righteousness, Lord, only because of your goodness and because of the strength that you give. So may we learn day by day to lean and depend on you in anything that comes in our life, Lord. There are many trials, many temptations going on, but Father, may you give us strength and may you lift us up And give us that assurance and confidence knowing that your way is always the best way, Lord. Your way is always the one that's good for us. Just as you promised, Lord, 
that you're working all things together for our good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So, Father, with many work that still needs to be done, may we give you our hands, may we give you our voices, give you our feet, whatever you would have from us. May we live for you and not live after the self. We ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Living in this country is uh, is a lot about being free, is it not? Well, some people don't understand the basis of freedom. Why would why would Jesus give you eternal life and not require anything in return? A lot of people don't understand that because they would never do that. They're not going to do something for nothing. But people who believe in works for salvation, I've got to earn my way. I've got to live this certain standard. They don't understand the motivation of the Lord. It's like a, it's like a, a husband who whose wife is a... He makes her submit to him. He, he makes her serve him. Versus a husband who simply loves his wife. And she, she, he loves her whether she serves him or not. Whether she cooks or not. Whether she does his laundry or not. He loves her because... It's in his nature to do that. Then if she in turn does reciprocate that love, that care, that serving, then he knows, he knows it's because she loves him, not because she has to. Jesus set us free. Serve him or not, it's up to you. It's your choice. Serve him or don't serve him. And he won't have it any other way. You're going to serve the Lord out of love or you're not going to serve him at all. He's not going to accept your service unless it's out of love. What did Paul say? He said, he said, I could give my body to be burned and have not love. It profits me nothing. The Lord just won't have it any other way. That's why he set you free. You say, Pastor, you mean, that, you mean that I can live my life any way I want and Jesus still loves me and he'll still take me to heaven? That's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what Jesus did and that's what the Bible says over and over and over again. Do, you, do I have to serve God? No, you don't. And I can go to heaven anyway? Yes, you will, if you put your trust in him. But there's a catch. You know what the catch was? After I trusted him, he changed me on the inside. He made me different. He made me alive. He made me righteous on the inside. And I serve him. Yes, I do. But I do it because I want to. And I know some of you who serve the Lord too. And you don't have to and you know it. You've learned it from the Bible. But you serve him because you want to. What a system. Who invented that? Jesus did. It's the greatest motivation in the world. I love it. You know why I love it so much? I don't have to talk you into serving God. 
All I have to do is show you how to make sure you're saved. And the Spirit of God will fix you on the inside and I won't have to talk you into it. Isn't that cool? Let's stand. Here's your question today. Do you want to serve the Lord? Is it your heart's desire to serve the Lord? If it's not, you really ought to ask yourself why. If it's not my desire, have I really been changed on the inside? You can know that. Then you can be sure. And we can help you. We're going to sing one verse. And we're going to shut it down.